You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. get quite comfortable where we are. A lot of us don't want to step out in faith. A lot of us get quite comfortable where we might be, and we don't make that step of faith, even when we know God is calling us into something. A lot of us get comfortable, you know, and and even our poor lifestyle is comfortable, whether it be addiction, whether it be pornography, whether whatever it might be, it's comfortable. You're comfortable in that, and you can't step out. We all have our comfort zone. Maybe you like to stick to your daily routine, minding your own business and not venturing off the beaten path. But what do you do when God calls you to do something outside of that? In today's message, Pastor Dave encourages us to trust God no matter how much it stretches you. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Ezra, chapter 8, as he begins his message. What God begins, God completes. It had been 60 some odd years since the Lord put on the heart of King Cyrus and Darius to allow the first group of captives to leave Babylon and return to Jerusalem. 60 years had passed. And we studied that from the beginning of Ezra all the way through chapter 6. The first group that came out of Babylon were under the guidance and the watchful eye of Zerubbabel and Yeshua. And during those 60 years, the temple had been reconstructed. The temple now was in operation. They had dedicated. It was moving forward. They were worshiping the Lord. They were doing all the sacrifices. They were celebrating all the feasts and things were moving on. Great. But something was missing. Something was missing that was extremely important. They weren't being taught God's word. We have a real priority of teaching God's word here at Calvary Chapel. And that's why every time we meet, everywhere you go, whether it be a Monday night, whether it be a Wednesday night, whether it be a Bible study, whether it be a men's study, a woman's study, whatever, the Bible is taught. God's word is taught because God's word brings life. God's word is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to cut through the bone and the marrow straight to the heart. God's word is our guide for living, our guide to Christ. God's word is so important to us. But these Jews that had returned weren't being taught God's word and they were struggling with the commandments of God. They were struggling with the law. They needed to learn his ways. And more importantly, not just learn his ways, they needed to walk in his ways. It's great to have head knowledge of God's word. It's great to study God's word and have all this head knowledge. But if it's not dropping from here to here, and then you're applying it to your life, it really doesn't do a lot. You just become a fat tick, that Mark and I like to say, and you get fatter and fatter on God's word, which is good, but you need to apply it. The more you apply it, the more you grow. The more you see yourself growing, and the more you can change your lives as you follow God's commands and God's word. And this is what was happening 
in Jerusalem at that time. The temple was completed. They were sacrificing, doing the things that they were supposed to do, but it was all rote. There was no learning, nothing in the heart. So they needed a spiritual leader. So God called Ezra for this purpose. He gave Ezra the boldness through his Holy Spirit to ask permission from King Artaxerxes I to allow him to go to Jerusalem. And it took a lot of courage for him to go up to the king and ask to be released. But just as God had done to Cyrus and Darius, he put it upon the heart of Artaxerxes to let the people go. He put it upon his heart. He put his hand upon them. And he granted Ezra permission not only to go, but to take people with him, to take people with him. So another group of captives are now returning from captivity. Now, they were in captivity for 70 years. It had been 60 years since the first group left. So we're talking about 130 years now. And now this other group is now coming back. Ezra, the scribe, a man with priestly pedigree that led all the way back to Aaron, Moses' brother, begins this long journey, and he brings these other captives with him, who are captives no longer, praise God. And back in verse 10 of chapter 7, it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statues and ordinances in Israel. So Ezra sought and prepared his heart. He went after the Lord hard. He sought after the Lord. We know that if you seek the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart because he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We know if you delight yourself in the Lord, he gives you the desires of your heart. So Ezra was preparing his heart. And he sought the law of the Lord, which is God's word. Listen, he sought to do it. He wanted to apply God's law to his life, just like we need to apply God's word to our lives. This is what we do. He wanted to also to teach it. He had a want to be a teacher of God's law. He wanted to do this, and God had places upon heart the law, the statutes, and the ordinances in Israel. We read that Ezra was a skilled scribe, which means he was good at what he did. He was very good at what he did. And he wanted to do more than just study the word of God. He wanted to live it as he taught it. This is extremely important. Extremely important, as we said. Ezra had been called with a purpose. He was called by the Lord. And we studied this, and we're going to hear this phrase one more time. In fact, I think we're going to hear it two more times today. And the good hand of God was upon him. God was leading him and guiding him. And providing for him, which is what God does when he calls you into service. And not only did the king let Ezra and the group go, he gave them silver and gold to take with them so that they could buy animals for sacrifice. And he basically paid their way. He basically, as I said, gave them the king's credit card and here, charge everything to my account. And just go and get what you need. So obviously God was providing this wonderful time for Ezra and this group to go. In chapter 8, Ezra now basically recounts the journey that he made. He recounts the journey that he made, and he begins 
with telling some of the prominent names of those who went with him. And you can read those in verse 1 through 14. Now, I'm not going to struggle with all these names, but there's a lot of interesting names here. In verse 1 it says, These are the heads of their father's houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me, Ezra is writing now, remember, from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes, the sons of Phineas, Gershom, the sons of Ithamar, Daniel, the sons of David, Hattush, the sons of Shechaniah, and the sons of Peros, Zechariah, and registered with him were 150 males, the sons of Perhath, Moab, the son of Zarahiah, there were 200 males. Once again, another name, different person, Shechaniah, Ben-Haziel, and with him 300 males, the son of Adib, Ebed, and son of Jonathan, with him 50 males, and so on and so on, Elam, Jesusiah, Adaliah, 70 males, Shephaniah, all those ayahs kept on coming. All right, they're all coming with him. The sons of Joab, Obadiah, and the son of Jahil, and with him 218 males. And it goes on and on and on all the way through there. And you can see this. Phineas, Gershom, Ithmar, Daniel, David, Huttush. These are prominent members of society. These are come from really good lines. These guys are coming from really good pedigrees, good lines. These are prominent families. And when you go back to the list way back in Ezra 1 and 2, and you start to compare names, you find out that some of these names are related to the group that came first of all. So it's almost like they're coming to be with their family. So they're coming also, prominent people. And these prominent people would have great influence over their relatives. Because back then, you were categorized by who your parents were, actually who your father was and his father, and his father, and his father. Your lineage was extremely, extremely important. Remember the priest who couldn't be priest because their lineage didn't line up with what it was supposed to be? So that's what you see happening. So Ezra gathered 18 men who were the heads of Jewish families, prominent men who would have great influence, a total of 1,515 men agreed to go with Ezra and take the four-month journey from Babylon to Jerusalem, and might I add, it was through hostile land. It wasn't a cakewalk. It was through very hostile land. And when you add the number of women estimated and children, you can surmise that the total number of the party that was coming with them in those days was anywhere between 6,000 and 7,000 people. So once again, you have this huge migration of people coming from Babylon now, making the four-month journey equals 900 miles to Jerusalem. This was no small trek, folks. They started out on the first day of the fifth month, and after about three weeks, they gathered at the river that flows to Ahava. Let's look at verse 15. Now, I gathered them by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there three days. And I looked among the people and the priests and found none of the sons of Levi there. Ezra was definitely a leader. He was definitely a strong leader. Not only was he a physical leader leading them, but he was also a spiritual leader. He brought everything back to the Lord, everything back to God. And 
from seeking the Lord, he had been given a gift of leadership. He'd been given a gift of teaching, a gift of counseling, and helping people to grow spiritually. And this is what he loved to do. But something disturbed him. Something disturbed him. He looked around at all the people, and he noticed, there were sons of Levi there. The Levites are different from the priests. They're a larger tribe from the family of Aaron, but all the priests have to be descendants of Aaron. Moses was a Levite. So these guys, what did the Levites do? They took care of things. They took care of the temple. They made sure everything was working in the temple properly. They, they cared for the things of God. This is what the Levites did. Now the priests, they were the ones that did the sacrifices and administered those things. But they were essential workers in the temple that Ezra was promoting, and he needed them there. The theory is, that most, most scholars agree, that perhaps the Levites were generally too comfortable in their lives at Babylon and didn't want to go back to Jerusalem. You know, perhaps they were not willing to come back to their ancestral temple because they didn't want to submit to the authority of the priests. Whatever the reason was, Ezra had the money and the authority he needed, but he didn't have the men. I read this and I studied this. A lot of us get quite comfortable where we are. A lot of us don't want to step out in faith. A lot of us get quite comfortable where we might be. And we don't make that step of faith, even when we know God is calling us into something. A lot of us get comfortable, you know, and, and even our poor lifestyle is comfortable. Whether it be addiction, whether it be pornography, whether whatever it might be, it's comfortable. You're comfortable in that, and you can't step out, even when God's calling you out. It's difficult to get out of that sometimes. But when the Lord calls us, we hedge because we're comfortable in that lifestyle. I don't want to change. How many of you had a conversation with somebody, talked about the Lord, and the first thing they ask you is, well, do I have to change? I don't want to change. I like where I am. Really? You like there? You like it there? Yeah. Well, they're, they're justifying. They're rationalizing. They can tell you they like it where they are. When they really don't, they're hurting. But they can't make that step forward because they don't trust that step forward. They're not comfortable in making that commitment. That's what you see here, the Levites. Levites had great homes. They built families. They built all kinds of relationships there. They don't want to leave. It's good there. It's good there. Many people who are called in service don't want to leave. Therefore, the Lord can't use them because they're not available to leave. Maybe the Lord's calling you to a ministry. Maybe the Lord's calling you someplace to minister someplace, and you just said, I'm not going because I'm comfortable here. He'll bless you. He'll continue to bless you. I'm reminded always of the two and a half tribes that stayed on the other side of the river, Jordan. Two and a half tribes stayed on the other side of the river, Jordan, when the other two and a half, that would mean uh, nine and a half tribes, went into the promised land. They didn't want to go because it was nice over there. They didn't want to go. Were they blessed by God? Absolutely. But they didn't get God's best. They didn't get God's best. And I'm here to tell you that we want, you should want God's best. He's already given you the best he had when Jesus died on the cross. But he has so much more for you in this life to live. And we should want his best for us. So we want to do those things. When we don't step out in faith because we're comfortable in the world, it becomes a dangerous thing. 
it becomes a dangerous thing. So Ezra decides we need some Levites. So he sends some guys out to get them. Let's read verses 16 through 20. Then I sent Eliezer, Ariel, Shemini, another bunch of names I'm not going to read. Men of understanding. They understood the word. They understood. They had some understanding. And I gave them a command for Edo the chief man at the place, that's Aphia. And I told them that they should say to Edo and his brethren, the Nethium, at the place that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. Verse 18. Then, what does it say? By the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding. Of the sons of Mahali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and brothers, 18 men. And Habashabiah, and the Jeshishiah, and Merai, his brothers and their sons, 20 men. And then you have more names there. So they come. They were all designated by name. Ezra sends them back to Babylon for the Levites. And they come to work in Jerusalem. He didn't accept the initial failure of the Levites to join the group, but he kept appealing to them. He planned carefully for this recruitment effort, and he chose good recruiters, guys who really knew and understood to send for them. He didn't just choose anybody. He just didn't say, you go, you go, you go. He chose selectively. I'm sure the Holy Spirit helped him make the choice. Very much like when the apostles chose six men to help with the distribution of food. There was a criteria there. You can look that up in Acts. He carefully instructed them what they should say and directed them who specifically to make the appeal to, Edo and his brethren. And the good hand of our God was upon them, and its recruitment effort panned out. They were able to bring Levites here. I just continue to love the phrase, by the good hand of God. I stand before you by the good hand of God. You are here by the good hand of God. By the good hand of God, I take my next breath. My heart continues to beat by the good hand of God. And we give him glory and praise for everything. Ezra says, they brought us a man of understanding, namely Sherebiah. This man responded to the call, and he leads another delegation, all of Levites, 38 in all. So now the Levites are there. They're all with them, and they're all together. So we should move on and get to Jerusalem. Not so fast. Remember, Ezra is a spiritual leader. Ezra is extremely good at what he does. So instead of leaving right away, once the Levites come, he calls for a fast. Ezra calls for a fast. Look at verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and our possessions. Notice the purpose of the fast. The purpose of the fast. Humble ourselves before our God and seek the right way. Not only for ourselves, but for our whole families. Notice why they were fasting. In this you see Ezra's spirituality. He calls for a fast, but the fast has a purpose. If the good hand of the Lord was not with them, their trip would be not. And Ezra knew it. It was time to seek the Lord. It wasn't time to venture out. 
There's a purpose for fasting. And at Calvary Chapel, when we see things in the scriptures, we address them. And now we see fasting. There's a purpose for fasting. Fasting is not necessarily get what you want. Oh, I really want that Cadillac, so I'm going to fast for four days. And I know the Lord will give me that Cadillac. I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure. He might. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. But fasting is not necessarily to get something. Anybody know the main purpose of fasting? What's the purpose? Why would I want to fast? To get close to God. I want to fast so I can get close to God. Because in fasting, I give up something like food, which is usually what they fasted. I give up something, but instead of eating during those normal times, I pray. I read my word. I study. I get close to God. My wife and I did a fast once, and this is going to sound trite because you can fast from anything, but we felt we were watching too much TV. So we said, okay, we're going to give up TV for two weeks. And during that time that we would normally sit in front of that goofy tube, we're going to pray, we're going to read God's word, and we're going to come together. Wow, what a time. What a glorious, glorious time that was. Fasting is practicing humbling yourself before God. Humble yourself before God. If you're turning your fast into some spiritual ego boost, you've missed the point. You've missed the entire point. You don't walk around and go, hey, I fasted today. Yeah, I'm cool. I'm bad. I fasted. That's not it. There's all kinds of examples in the Bible about fasting. People have abstained from food. Jesus fasted before his public ministry in Luke 4. Nehemiah fasted to help him confess his sins to God and turn away from them and to ask God for favor in the sight of the king Persia to get permission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. David fasted to ask God to intervene because of injustice. David always fasted when he walked to God. Mordecai and the Jews fasted upon hearing the news of Haman's wicked plot for their extermination. The early church fasted while worshiping and committing their ministry to the Lord. They also sought the Lord through fasting for guidance when they appointed leaders, Acts 13 and 14. Fasting is not a hunger strike between you and God. I'm not going to eat anything until God answers my prayer. Something in the Bible, a group decided that they weren't going to eat until they killed the apostle Paul. I wonder how many of them died of starvation. Because they never got to kill the Apostle Paul. But by golly, they were going to fast until that happened. I'm sure they were quite hungry. It can easily be to think of fasting as a way to add an extra boost to your prayers. But biblical fasting isn't so much about how God responds to your prayers. It's more about how you respond to God. You are assured. You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave dove into the book of Ezra, a true story of the rebuilding of the temple. On any project God designs, there's going to be opposition. When it came to Ezra's time and the rebuilding of the temple, the enemy didn't want to see the Jews free to worship God in the temple once again, so he caused people to come against it. Have you found this to be true in your life? 
You're following the clear directions of God and seem to have favor, but along the way the opposition rises against the work, you can take that as a good sign that you're on the right track. No work of God goes unopposed by the enemy, and when you step into God's work, you step into the line of fire. But there's good news. God always prevails. When the plan is God's, He keeps it secure until the end. Don't give up hope when you encounter opposition as you follow God. You're in good company with thousands of Christ followers throughout history. It's always better to have a community around you when the opposition hits. And if you don't have that community, we'd like to be it. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. Come see us soon, and you'll find all the information you need at assurehoperadio.com. While you're there, check out the other messages we have available to you, and click on the link for Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for joining us today. We love diving into God's Word together, and we'll see you next time on A Sure Hope. Show. Sure.